Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Iram and Alistair are our 2022 OS Award winners, a teaching prize awarded by the Royal Geographical Society on behalf of Ordnance Survey. Since 1832, our prestigious medals and awards have recognised excellence in geographical research and fieldwork, teaching and public engagement. Iram is an anti-racist and decolonial geography teacher and consultant, a writer and a speaker, and is currently completing a PhD in education at King's College London. She's the founder of the Salam Geographia website, meaning Peace to Geography, which is a celebration of the everyday geographies young learners should experience, regardless of race or ethnicity. Alistair is a head of geography, an ArcGIS whiz, research ed presenter, and is on his senior leadership team for teaching and learning. He's well known for his GIS work in the classroom and is an artist, with his own website for photography, and as one of our authors to the Geography Subject Knowledge Programme. Hi, Iram. Hi, Alistair. Well, thank you very much, Harry. Thanks for the opportunity. Assalamu alaikum and peace and greetings to all of you listening today. Alistair, when receiving your award, it was noted that you are a tireless contributor to the geography teacher community. Could you give me an outline of what you share and where? Uh, we're recording this right at the end of the term, so I'm not quite sure the description tireless applies right now. <laughs> I'm ready for the Easter break, but certainly the um, the whole notion of uh, being very, very keen to share and contribute. Um, yes, it's, it's something that's always been, I suppose, a real value of mine. I'm a natural collaborator. I tend to value the, the opportunities that we have to share and not only to share f- uh, with each other, but to learn from each other as well and, and create that sense of synergy. But I suppose it was really in that little set of incidences that started almost uh, three years ago to the day, this this surreal period of, of COVID-19, whenever everything went remote. And um, in one sense, our world and our lives became very, very small and very, very constrained. That one hour a day that we could go out for our daily walk and all sort of things like this. But in another sense, um, it actually opened up opportunities for connections because everything became virtual in that sense. Then uh, I suppose some of the things that would have maybe worked against broader collaboration, especially coming as I do from Northern Ireland, being a prisoner of geography, so to speak, from this side of the Irish Sea, all of a sudden geographical distance didn't matter anymore. And this, uh, this geographer certainly enjoyed the prison break. And what I found that I was able to collaborate with people, um, all over the UK and indeed beyond. And in those days, uh, um, of trying to figure out how we even go about beginning to teach in this crazy situation. I suppose I go into a context like that and in some sense as I enjoy the challenge of trying to come up with creative solutions. But those creative solutions were very much found and teased out and tested in the sense of community. And that community was the geography teaching community across the UK and Ireland and indeed beyond. So a lot of it then came from 
uh, Twitter, I suppose, and a lot of the other uh, opportunities to have virtual meetings or indeed as we started Return to Normal blended meetings. So a lot of it really comes from that. And it is very much a collaboration, Harry would say it like that. I'm, I contribute because people have contributed to me. And I suppose, you know, when I look at the, the, the people that have helped me to develop my own geographical thinking, and especially, and we'll chat later about GIS, there's people that I could never pay back for the things that I've done, but there's certainly, uh, I can pay it forward and I can help others. The thing that's occurred to me as you spoke there is that it must be an absolute joy to work under you in your geography department <laughs> as, you, as you give so much. And, and your point about collaboration is so important and it is a feather in the cap of teaching, I think. It's unparalleled. As a teacher from Northern Ireland, what types of geography are there to explore near you? Uh, yeah, well, we live in a small wee country of Northern Ireland. It's not very big. Nowhere is particularly far away from anywhere else. Um, but there's a tremendous diversity in this country that I live in. Um, and um, if you see anything of what I do on Twitter, you'll notice that every once in a while I'll share photographs of Northern Ireland, particularly of the Causeway Coast. I love being able to go up there and, and visit and literally stand on these 60 million year old lava flows. The county that I call home, County Antrim, is, or the floor is, or at least was, quite literally lava. We have this amazing geological cake, layered cake of these limestones overlain by these lava flows. And it's just so geologically rich and diverse. Um, that's no don't, no doubt part of what has fueled my interest in uh, plate tectonics and all of the things there that I've tried to uh, share. You mentioned in the, the introduction some of the stuff I've written for RGS on that. Um, so as a geography teacher from Northern Ireland, I am lucky enough to be able to go to a beach on the Causeway Coast of Northern Ireland and find a volcanic bomb that erupted out in a Pompeii-like explosion 60 million years ago. I'm able to pick that up and bring that back down into my classroom and hold it in front of them and pass it around and say, this is from a beach that you've played on many, many times. If only you've got your eyes to see the next time you're up there. So there's loads of that in terms of the physical geography, but I suppose the part of what makes Northern Ireland a particularly notable place, <laughs> uh, as well as things like the Giants Causeway and the physical beauty, of course, we, we are a country that is sadly known for the troubles and the terrorist violence um, that took place here for 30 years. Again, as we record, we're just coming up to the... Um, 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. So we live in a country that is very, very different now than the one that I grew up in. Uh, it's a country where there is um, a growing peace, but still a lot of issues and challenges. And one of the things that I am very passionately involved in as a geographer here is our shared education program in Northern Ireland, which is a program that allows us as schools to work together across the two main community divides of bringing together Protestant and Catholic young people uh, in order to help us to understand each other better in divided societies like ours, um, which of course are in many ways replicated all across the UK. If you look at you know ethnic divides within cities and in England and things like that, they exist as well. But the particularly difficult and intractable issues here that we're dealing with. So as a geographer, one of the things that we can really do is to bring the geographer's exploration of place into this whole area of how we understand each other. The town that I teach in of Lurgan is a very, very divided town. Most towns in Northern Ireland would be 
majority Protestant or majority Catholic, um, and there would be a minority of the other community. Lurgan's one of the few that is almost 50-50. And there is a mental map that all of the young people and the pupils in the town have. There are no physical signs, unlike Belfast, where you've got peace walls, there are no physical signs of division in Lurgan, but they all have a mental map. This is the line beyond which you do not go, especially at a certain time of night, especially if you're on your own. So in um, 2018, 2019, just the start of 2019, we had a, a wonderful little shared education GIS project with the young people from my school and my partner's school. St. Ronan's College, where we got the young people to travel around all sorts of places in the town in Lurgan, including some of the the shared areas, the main street, uh, into some of the more leafy suburban areas and right into the heart of the working class areas where you will have the murals and the flags painted and the curbstones painted. You know, if any of people listening have seen some of the images of Northern Ireland, it's maybe some of those stereotypical images that you'll find. And we were able to take them right into the heart of that, those locations. And using this little app on their phone called Survey123, we just basically asked them to rate on a Likert scale how safe they felt at that moment, how safe they would feel there at 10 o'clock on Saturday night, and asked them to jot down a few reasons why. Really just exploring the sense of place and taking them to parts of the town that they probably would never have been to before. And what we found as we came back into the computer room and we started to explore this, because this was done in GIS, everything was immediately mapped and geotagged. And we were able immediately to go into the computer room and go on and have a look at what each other had said. And one of the things that I found really interesting in the, the computer suite at that point was that pupils from each other's schools, the Catholic students wanted to know what the Protestant students thought about their area and vice versa. And I think because the young people have been using their phones for this, they ended up being incredibly personal and honest. It was all anonymized, but you kind of confide in your phone, don't you? It becomes a very personal thing, I think, especially for teenagers. And the honesty that was coming through about how they were feeling was, in one sense, initially quite shocking. But what you could find then was this rippling out of as the young people reflected and, and maybe thought a little bit about why each other would have felt that way, ended up being an incredibly illuminating and informative experience. And you could absolutely see uh, that sense of mutual understanding beginning to grow in the room. And then as we had our little plenary together and started to pull out some of their thoughts and their ideas, um, just was an amazing way to explore that perception of place and that sense of how do we uh, attach meaning to it? What's our meaning? How is our meaning different from others? Uh, and that tool of GIS was just a wonderful way of allowing us to do so. Uh, and, and this story has this most crazy and surreal <laughs> ending, Harry, because that little event that we took place, I think about 45 students in Lurgan in a, a snowy January morning, and um, the company Esri, who provide this ArcGIS software to schools, got wind of our story, and uh, they thought there was something very powerful and compelling, and as, as did we. But they they thought this this was good enough for us to take that all the way over to San Diego in July of 2019 to the biggest GIS conference in the world. 
where our young people got the chance to present their story in front of a live audience of 19,000 people, telling the story of peace and reconciliation amongst young people in Northern Ireland, and done by geographers understanding place. <laughs> and it was just such an inspiring story. I was spent most of my time standing at, at the, the back of the stage waiting to come on and follow them, which was an impossible task. But I just was so proud of what they were able to do, of just saying... You know, as we go out into these communities, as we seek to understand, we really can break down some of these barriers. What examples of ArcGIS have you produced recently for your students that you could maybe highlight and talk us through? Okay, yeah. So one of the ones that is probably worth talking about, again, is a volcanic one. Uh, although GIS, when they talked about what we did around the town of Lurgan, obviously has a lot of connections with human geography as well. But I was looking at uh, volcanoes with my sixth form class, and we're kind of looking at the whole idea of, of to what extent can you predict when a volcano would erupt? And I like to compare that a little bit with two other contrasting ones. Can you predict a hurricane? Can you predict an earthquake? And what's the difference between the predictions? In particular, we're looking at where it's going to be, when it's going to be, and how big, the three key things with any kind of prediction. So we're looking at a volcano in Indonesia called Semeru, which um, erupted in December 21. But it was a very interesting eruption. Unfortunately, um, a few dozen people lost their lives in this because it caught the authorities unawares. Indonesia is a pretty well-monitored area for volcanism because there's so many volcanoes. But this one seems to have been triggered by particularly intense rain that caused the lava dome at the top to collapse and it uncorked it and you got this massive outburst of um, this gas-laden magma which produced lahars and pyroclastic density currents and, and caught people unawares. And we were been looking at that at the extent to which or you could predict that. Um, should the authorities have borne in mind the the connection between the rainfall and the potential eruption but then fast forward to a year later to december 2022 when i'm revisiting this topic with my next year group and um at that stage semaru was beginning to inflate uh, and it was a, of course a, a sign of a potential eruption the, the analogy i use it's it can be like the sneeze that that doesn't come <laughs> yeah i'm going to sneeze i'm going to sneeze oh no no it's gone so there's definitely something happening what it leads to well we're not so sure yet but one of the things that i love with data visualization and, and gis is through the use of remote sense tools like uh, those that we can get from Sentinel, we can go and get near real-time visualizations of what's actually happening anywhere across the world. So I got my students to go into Sentinel, which is the satellite system operated by the European Union, and they produce all their satellite data open source. You can go into something called Sentinel Hub, and you can download that information. So I, I got them to download the information showing the eruption last year to try and figure out where the pyroclastic density current had gone and to use that basically to try and forecast where if the eruption this year, if it manifested itself, where would be the particular danger zones and where would they recommend evacuations to take place? Particularly off the back of the previous year, the lack of evacuation had tragically le led to loss of life. There's a very kind of pointedness to this that 
that, that we need to get this right. But to be able to be doing that, Harry, in near real time, I mean, it was the kind of thing that I was saying to them that, you know, we're sitting in our, our little classroom in Lurg and we're accessing this data. We're bringing it into a GIS map to present it and, and to explore and zoom in and compare it to other different layers. And we could use the measure tool to see how far down it was coming, the area tool, all things like that. I said to them, as we're doing this in a classroom in Lurgan, the authorities, the volcanologists in Indonesia are doing something incredibly similar. This is how they're getting this remote sense data. This is how geographers do their thing. So when it comes to data visualization, part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because it's opening up the eyes of our pupils to how geography is done in the real world. Listen, I, I did A-level art. I love pens and pencils. I have got a beautiful set of coloring pencils on my desk like every geographer should, so I'm not knocking that. But I would want data visualization to be so much more than the archetypal geographers, oh, you color in, isn't that right? That we digitally color in and to tell you what, that's really cool. So we were able to get this and, and they were able to map on where the power classic density current had gone and we were able to explore things like, um, you know, there's a number of ravines. So in theory, the density current could come down any of them. But seeing as last year's eruption kind of blew out a part of the uh, crater rim you know is it more likely that that's going to be where a subsequent eruption would occur and I, and I said to them when it came to evacuation i said you, you're going to be like my scientific advisors i'm going to be the politician so we're going to have to go to the media afterwards and uh, if they ask me a difficult question i'm going to hand straight over to you <laughs> um what makes a good curriculum in, in your opinion yeah, I, I, th I think this is a fascinating discussion. I wanted to start this one by referring to a quotation that I heard Mark Enzer say a lot um, pre-COVID via Twitter, the specification is not the curriculum. And because the Twitter character limit didn't really allow for a lot of elaboration, at first I didn't really quite understand. And that's, that's my bad because I should have thought it through a lot more. As I started in COVID to hear him talk through virtual sessions on this a little bit more, it was like the penny drop for me. Um, and it was, in a sense, almost like an affirmation of, I suppose, what had I'd stumbled across as a core set of values. Yes, as particularly when you get into um, the exam classes, whenever sometimes the curriculum can feel constrained, I suppose, especially at GCSE, where it can become a little bit of a bottleneck towards the exams. I want that mantra just to be there. The specification is not the curriculum. The curriculum is what you build from the specification. So what does a good curriculum look like? And I suppose I'm framing this in the question of, you know, if my students leave me after GCSE or if they leave me after A-level and don't do geography elsewhere, what do I want their experience of geography to have been? And and I suppose when I, I talk back about some of those things that, that I was just mentioning there about Semeru or anywhere else around the world where we are going and, and exploring things in a way that are, are not ultimately constrained by the fact of, right, this is going to get you a good mark in the exam. Now, I believe that by teaching in this way, you can do that because what it's going to do is give them a deeper, more profound knowledge and understanding of geography. It's going to equip them to be able to apply their knowledge an awful lot better. But I want that knowledge to be something that's transformative. And I suppose I'm, I'm very taken by Michael Young's concept of powerful knowledge in this. Now, I know the criticisms of powerful knowledge, but the thing that I really like about it is this knowledge that takes them beyond just their everyday knowledge. I've already spoken earlier on about the, the work that we do with Shared Ed that absolutely validates their personal experience and their sense and perception of place. That's crucial as well. 
But what the powerful knowledge concept will do is to take them beyond that, is to open up their eyes and let them understand the world better. Um, so whenever I'm designing the curriculum, I want to design it in such a way as it promotes that kind of, of thinking for them. So if I'm doing an evaluation, I'll give you this little illustration. A couple of years ago, I rewrote my A-level um, case study on uh, volcanoes, and uh, I decided to cover a volcanic eruption in Guatemala in 2018, and Vulcan de Fuego uh, was little reported at the time, but a, a devastating eruption that killed at least 250 people, maybe more, because of this paraclastic flow again, one of those awful, dreadful density currents that came down and caught people unawares. And I just felt at that time that I, I really wanted to tell that story and honor that story. So I reached out, again, this is a great example of what was we were able to do during COVID. I reached out on Twitter to some volcanologists who I had come across who'd been working out there and said, look, I'm interested in doing this. I would love to find out directly from you a little bit more about what was going on. And that started an amazing partnership where I was able to get as close to primary sources as I could uh, and get my work critiqued by volcanologists and indeed local people who worked out there. So I was bringing this case study to my pupils, this evaluative case study where we had to look at in a, in a critical way the ways in which the authorities managed this hazard. Uh, and this this volcano resulted in hundreds of deaths. So it's legitimate to ask questions, what could be done better? But to do so in such a way as it honors the best endeavors of those that are actually working out there, that tells their story in a way that recognizes the challenges that they're facing, and yet does so in a way that we can be telling an evaluation that's more than just, uh, here are some pros, here are some cons, there overall, wee bit of this and wee bit of that, to actually to adopt strong positions and to explore with my pupils, right, well, if you're going to adopt a strong position, you need evidence for that. You can't just make up your own opinion. You need some evidence for that, and you need to get that evidence from really credible sources. This is what critical thinking and geography really looks like. And, you know, for me, whenever I'm teaching them that case study for I, I tell them the story behind it as well so they understand the process that i've gone through the story is one that has credibility because i'm trying to represent it as fairly as i possibly can and i suppose this probably begins quite nicely where we started in terms of you asking me what it's like to be a teacher in northern ireland um i get that in northern ireland there's a lot of misconceptions about the country that i come from there's a lot of you know single stories in many cases for that and and i would want the country that i come from to be represented in the nuanced and diverse way that it, that it really is and then for me as a geography teacher to try and represent place elsewhere in the same way there's a responsibility there, but I think whenever we try to, to do that to the best of our ability, what you then have is this really powerful story, the kind of story that can open the eyes of our young people that moves beyond simple stereotypes and simple evaluations to powerful, profound things that can shape the way they see the world. That's so interesting, Alistair. Iram, you've been described as having an outstanding reputation in geography education for advancing pedagogical practices. Can you offer a little more detail about how you approach your teaching? Okay, I'll begin with Bismillah rahman rahim um, That's an interesting question and a very kind title to be awarded. Um, I approach teaching in many different ways as I've gained knowledge from so many different teachers myself. So my awareness 
like of what it feels like to be at the back of a classroom um, as a so-called ethnic minority student in a white space and mostly with white teachers and engaging with a white curriculum, that's probably where I begin my journey in developing my like pedagogical approach um, that empowers and kind of welcomes learners because I kind of feel like I know how they feel because I decided when I embarked on teaching that that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep reminding myself of what it felt like to be in the classroom. So I don't believe students should just <clears throat> know and that teachers should just teach. There has to be like a dialogue and an exchange of ideas and like this fluid power dynamics within the classroom. And this kind of um, is in sync with what Paolo Ferreri famously encourages teachers um, you know, to do, which is not to oppress their learners um, in, in his work on pedagogy of the oppressed. And, and also his student, Bell Hooks, in teaching to transgress with her explanation of engaged pedagogy to engage the learner in, and you know, develop their sense of wanting to know but as a child, uh, you know, my influences and teachers have been from the black and Muslim sort of thinking thinkers and scholars. Um, so like my own mother, El Hajj Malik El Shabazz, or, you know, people know him as Malcolm X. And, and people that perhaps mainstream education are not that aware of, for example, you know, within the religion of Islam, a lot of our thinking comes from Prophet Muhammad sallallahu which means peace be upon him, and his companions, such as Bilal, who was the first person to do the call to prayer. And this is quite profound because this was 1,400 years ago, and, of course, Bilal um, is known to be a black companion of Prophet Muhammad, let me peace and blessing be upon him. And, and for him to do the call to prayer was a very important role given to him. So it kind of helped me understand that, that there's an anti-racist kind of element built within me, which I quite easily brought into the classroom. And what's amazing about these thinkers is their ethical engagement with their friends, family, wider community and governance. So, you know, my identity as a Muslim is there. So I try to demonstrate a good character and kindness within classroom space. And my, and my students know that when they don't understand a concept in geography, it won't frustrate me. Or if students need additional support, they know I will try every pedagogical approach I know to make the learning possible. And I think one of the key aspects of my teaching actually involves getting to know my students as people. I engage them in a deeper, meaningful conversation or conversations, and I design my activities so that I'm able to sort of tap into their hidden talents, even culture, spirituality, and of course, their own knowledges and geographical imaginations. So, you know, more recently, I've been kind of reading around decolonial and anti-racist scholarship, and I've kind of realized that what every teacher needs, they need to kind of develop this desire to treat the students as humans. And this comes from a paper that I was reading from James Esson and Angela last in the area journal. And they suggested in their paper, anti-racist learning and teaching in geography, British geography, to get this human side 
to, to have this humanity when you're teaching. And of course, it's um, academic based, but we can always apply that to secondary school geography education as well. The gap is quite large, I'd say, <laughs> between university and school geography. So I would kind of, to bridge that gap, dip into these papers. Uh, there's so much learning we can do. So when my students don't understand a concept, for example, in physical geography, such as glaciation or earthquakes, I retell a personal story. Like, for example, in Pakistan, I experienced an earthquake and it changed the way I actually taught about earthquakes because I, I began to understand the human side of it, that there's humans behind this. It's not just a low income developing country or an emerging economy that we're talking about. We're talking about real people and places. And this kind of encourages them to think deeply about like their own connections to the geography around them to make them feel more connected to the topic and their teacher. And as well as your teaching, you're currently undertaking PhD research. Is that right? And, and you're looking for research participants, especially those who identify as Muslim, Black or global majority? Yeah, I think there's an auto-ethnographic element to my research as well, where I'm going to really um, sort of critically look at my own teaching experience and also learning geography experience. And I'm interested in um, my colleagues as well. So when um, engaged with anti-racist decolonial learning and teaching, it's important for my research to split um, the research into intersectional phases. For example, one element is Muslim Black global majority teachers. Another element will be decolonial anti-racist teachers. And then there will be a third phase where I'm going to sort of have focus groups with Muslim Black and global majority students too, because I think that intersectional conversation is very important at the moment in geography education. And that's some of the work that people are reaching out to me for, especially with the CPVs that I'm offering with Salam Geographia. And I'm currently working on my doctoral project for this research. And I'm interested in how teachers and students of geography experience the actual geography in the classroom. And as Muslim or Black global majority geography teachers are in the minority in England, perhaps a rarity. I really want to explore what narratives they bring to geography education. And um, I've been privileged to explore Imam Ghazali in this um, PhD so far, my doctoral studies, and also with my master's. And I kind of, through hermeneutics, uh, bring in Quranic texts as well, and the Sunnah, which is basically the Prophet Muhammad's way of life and his narrations and it's a good opportunity for me to kind of um, share that with the geography education within England because I think with my master's I kind of briefly explored this through global citizenship and its relationship to geography education but now is an opportunity to bring this thousand year old philosopher Imam al-Ghazali and theologian um, known to the west but perhaps not so well understood within geography education, especially at secondary school level. And I think it's important because we have Muslim students within the classroom and also students who are interested to know more about, you know, the Muslim world and what's, what's going on in the different countries and the kind of stereotypes that they are, they are exposed to. So I think this learning is going to be essential. And I hope this project will help teachers understand this global community, this global Muslim community in more depth. 
And I would add, as Adwid Saeed also mentioned, there's so much negative representation of the Muslim community right now. And it's unfortunately felt by the Muslim community, the teachers, the students, even the, the, the allyship. The, you know, there's so much happening right now that we need to kind of have critical discourse alongside any tropes against any community. So my autoethnographic sort of approach will provide my own perspective and engagement with the geography classroom and my own experience of learning and teaching in geography in England. It hasn't been easy for me, and I think that's important for me to emphasize. So it'd be really interesting to explore the narrative analysis, the, the commonalities and differences in all of our experiences, both those engaged in decolonizing the curriculum and also Muslim, Black and global majority geography teachers. It kind of sounds complex, doesn't it? But I guess that's true of all research. And for teachers who haven't engaged on this yet, Iram, as you said, it sounds a bit complicated. How might they start to decolonize their curriculum? How would you encourage someone to, to start their own journey in the classroom? You've mentioned humanity already. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to expand on that because I think for those teachers who have not yet engaged with decolonizing their curriculum, I would strongly urge you to do so. It isn't all that daunting when you actually become more of a reflexive kind of critical teacher um, and learner, I would add, because we're always learning. We're probably learning more than we are teaching. We have so much to explore with geography education, our colleagues, our students, even our wider communities and those that we find ourselves in and explore. So I think it's such a dynamic area to look at decolonizing, but I have faith in the geography teacher and their ability to transform the curriculum. At the moment, I'm sure many would agree it's very like colonial and has a strong white narrative from the lens of a white Western Eurocentric kind of scholarship. And I would add, you know, the white male dominance, the strong grip on the discipline. Remember, this is only problematic if it actually perpetuates racism or marginalizes others to a point of perhaps ignorance or erasure even. And then there's this discourse around hidden histories that I talk about in some of my CPDs that I offer as well, that, you know, to bring in other people's perspectives as well. And it's obviously, as we know, the history of British geography is pretty much rooted in Western European colonialism. In projects within, in fact, the RGS themselves, they have portraits and artefacts from voyages and explorations beyond the British shores. And, you know, although useful in some contexts, they have this hidden history or a history, like, for example, from those that were colonised, that the, these lands were discovered I'm going to do that in inverted commas, um, by the British geographers of the time, but they were in fact colonised these places and they later went through a process of resistance through what we call decolonising or decolonization, and they're still going through this. So there's a colonial present and a colonial past. I would have loved to have had a teacher to sort of you know, set aside some knowledge for, for students like myself and say things like, let me tell you what really happened or tell me about yourself and your personal geographies. So I tend to start with maps um, and the colonial legacy they're attached to. A critique of Mercator map is always 
um, you know, really important for a discussion point with your students for a decolonial lens. The very concept of why Africa is shown to be so substantively smaller than what it is in reality and how the UK is mapped in a central, more dominant position. This is no coincidence as British and European colonists were, after all, exploring the world from their own perspective. So this would lead to the discussion of empire and race and sort of race and racism and race relations through like colonization of what was later coined as, you know, of those third world so-called countries. And this kind of led geographers to create this categorization of developed or undeveloped or developing world, advanced and emerging economies and so forth. In the 1990s, I, I myself remember referring to Pakistan as a less economically developed country, for example, LEDC. I even recall saying to my geography teacher, so my country ain't no LEDC and having a bit of an argument and even having a detention for it. But it, it meant something to me. And it would have been nice if my teacher could have set aside some time and explained that this is just a theory. This is just a categorization. It's not the total truth. You can read this on my blog um, as well in Salam Geographia. It's titled Unorthodox Geography Teacher. Here I take the reader through a short dialogue between myself and a student from Somali heritage. We're both British Muslim, but from different continents with different, yet the same kind of colonial and historical contexts within geography. And I've worked in a wide range of schools, including Sikh, Christian, Hindu schools in England, not to mention even, you know, mixed comprehensive settings. And my pedagogical approach to kind of learning and teaching anti-racist geography, it, it actually transcends any difference we may encounter together as teachers and learners. And as a teacher, I offer a perspective with a range of perspectives. As Tariq Jazeel recently mentioned as well, when decolonizing the curriculum, it entails a sense of like plurality of perspectives and, and histories where we kind of embrace this complexity because it's going to be in inevitable. So I would strongly recommend engaging with decolonizing the geography collective as well. You can follow them on Twitter and they have a website and lots of great articles about teaching in a more decolonial way. How do you cultivate a passion for geography with your students and encourage mainstream compassion across the education system? You know what, I really like this question. Um, if there's one thing I was able to do in the geography classroom, it was actually help my students discover their own personal geographies. And I have this little activity I do when I meet a geography class for the first time. I ask my students to create a concept diagram of the many geographical connections they have within their own lives. It's profound how this activity brings out the best geography a student can explore, the one embedded in their own geographical imaginations and understanding. And it's an opportunity for me to get to know them, for them to get to know me all through our geographical connections from music, food, family, traveling to places, communities, those that they've been to and those that they want to visit and, and learn more about. And we mix the local with the global and it's an endless activity, one that gives agency to the students. What better place to start than the self, I think? I mean, it's very empowering for the students to, to feel that they're an expert in a field of their own like personal geographies. And they surprise themselves about how much they actually know about geography. And I now offer CPD sessions as well for teachers and educators 
with my um, consultancy through Salam Geographia, where I discuss exactly how to do this. And I'm developing a theoretical framework. It's influenced by Imam al-Ghazali, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and other decolonial thinkers, and I've coined this theory, ecstatic responsive cognition. It's actually influenced by culturally responsive pedagogy, and it's based on the notion that the learner must feel a sense of ecstasy through learning in order to fully engage with the knowledge they're expected to absorb. And this is what Imam al-Ghazali taught through his book on knowledge, as I mentioned, and this was over a thousand years ago. Um, So I've connected the Western decolonial thought with the critical Muslim geographies, with what James Sidaway more recently has written about in his paper, Beyond the Decolonial, Critical Muslim Geographies. But coming back to this ecstatic responsive cognition, I offer an approach kind of to learning about the world and our place in it in a more nuanced way through feeling happy about the learning and feeling empowered by the teacher. This is how I teach and this is how I've always teach and I've just tried to make it into a theoretical framework now. And I try to ensure all my learners have a place in the classroom. And I feel, you know, good about this. And and I want students to feel good as well. And I want, there's no better place than to start from within. And finally, a word to your strengths of curriculum design and pedagogy. What books can you recommend to teachers to help improve their understanding either of GIS or of anti-racist decolonial teaching? Okay, so when it comes to technology, I, I don't know what you're like, Harry, whenever you get a new gadget at home and there's an instruction manual there or there's the buttons that you can press to play with it and try and make it work. Are, are you an instruction manual reading person or are you a press the button and hope person? <laughs> I'm a press the button and hope and then go crying to someone else for help. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I mean, the reason why I say that is because uh, whenever it comes to GIS, um, I, I, I haven't really learned it through books. I've learned it through pressing buttons and curiosity. There's a phrase that we have, an Ulster Scots phrase, that is better felt than telt. <laughs> In other words, you're better to experience it than to be told about it. So I, it wouldn't so much be books that I would recommend with GIS. It would be getting in, engaged with some of us who are actually using it. There are a lot of uh, resources that we've produced that are pretty much off the shelf. So I think the best way into it is to use some of those ready-made teaching resources. Um, and the, you know, you were mentioning earlier about the things I share. That's one of the things that I love to share a lot. Um, you'll find me on Twitter at LC Geography. So if you have any questions, just reach out at any time. I've got a whole bank of resources. And, and I suppose the way that my students learn how to use GIS is just simply by those guided press this button and see what it does kind of thing. We need to give each other a chance. We've got to reflect on the current times and our learners and give them the best start to their development of geographical knowledges. You know, the geography curriculum should begin with a deeper understanding of empire for a start and colonialism, particularly that of British Empire and its impact on its ex-colonies. And once this is established, there should be a scope to address what Patricia Daly has written about in Defiant Scholarship, learning from African intellectuals through challenging imperialism colonialism, racial capitalism, and Eurocentric knowledge systems. And I'm quoting her here, it's extensive research on pre-modern and pre-capitalist world and its emancipatory sort of visions for human futures. And I think this is very an important statement 
because I think once we embed this in the curriculum, we will see um, our students understanding the world in a more nuanced way. So we've got no excuses, really. Students must be given the opportunity to explore the historical aspect of the discipline of geography and read important work by black and global majority scholars, such as Professor Patricia Daly, Professor Pat, Pat Noxola, Dr. James Esson, and Professor Tariq Jazeel. And these are um, scholars that I am learning from right now. And I would strongly recommend books such as Teaching to Transgress by Bell Hooks, especially her chapter on engaged pedagogy and Paolo Ferreira's um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And of course, Post-Colonialism by Tariq Jazeel. And one I'm reading more personally, Kitab al-Ilm by Imam Ghazali, which is translated by Kenneth Honorkamp. So for ideas on how to contextualize the sort of geographical tradition and current day geopolitics, I highly recommend reading publications by Dr. Ruth Craggs and Dr. Majid Akhtar as well. They're, they're actually my wonderful kind of geography department right now at King's College. So much work is happening there. It's brilliant. And of course, there's loads of blog posts nowadays as well. So you can dip into the Decolonizing Geography website as well. There's a lot of reading there as well and a lot of references. But I just want to say thank you so much. Um, it's been wonderful engaging with such generous questions. I really enjoyed this experience, you know, to be heard and appreciated. And I look forward to seeing what comes out of um, our teachers when they do decolonize and, and have anti-racist approaches within their teaching and learning within geography education. Thank you so much for those final sentiments, Iram. Alistair, Iram, congratulations to both of you on your awards. And thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Harry. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.